Well, as we stand on the brink of a new year, I thought that it might be appropriate for us to take a little bit of time to reflect on the old year and also to anticipate and consider the new year that lies before us. You know, this isn't an original idea. Uh, the month of January is named after the Roman god Janus, J-A-N-U-S, and uh, the, that Roman god is depicted as having two faces, one that faces backward into the past and one that faces forward into the future. And recently, you know, our most recent sermon series, we've been unwrapping the names of Christmas. And so I decided it was time to wrap it up. We need to wrap up the year 2013, decide what it is that we're going to wrap up, what it is that we're going to carry with us into the new year that lies before us. Now, whenever I think of wrapping gifts, I think of two people. One of them is Bobby Gauger. And many of you remember Bobby, about this tall, about this tall, loved kids. And whenever you went to Bobby's house at Christmas time and you say to her, Bob, what did you get for Christmas? She would point to packages wrapped and under the tree. And she would take them and she would open them and show you what she got. And then she would wrap them up again. And she did this every time anybody wanted to see her presence. And it was uh, mysterious to our kids. They couldn't figure this out at all. And her explanation was, they just look pretty when you wrap them up. So she would carefully unwrap them, rewrap them, and put them under the tree each and every time she showed them. It was like Christmas all over again, I guess. I don't know. The other person that I think about is my grandmother. And I don't know if any of you knew my grandmother or not, but in our family, at least, she was legendary as far as rapping was concerned. And that was because she probably never bought wrapping paper in her entire life. She saved it. She saved it. And just as Bobby used to, you know, our kids couldn't understand Bobby, we... Her grandchildren couldn't understand my grandmother because we'd be all excited with these packages and we would come running to her and say, Grandma, open it, open it. And she'd say, okay, just a minute. And she would very meticulously, like a surgeon meticulously, take the ribbon off and the bow. And then she would ask for her scalpel, which was a table knife. And she would slice the tape and she would carefully open it. It drove us nuts. We wanted her to open that present so that we could see what was inside and so that she could see what was inside if we knew what was inside of it and get excited along with us. Then she would smooth out the wrinkles, you know, and the creases, and she would save that paper. And she did. She used it. You know, you talk about being green. My grandmother was green. She recycled. (laughs) But when she died, we carried out boxes of used wrapping paper. I don't know if there's a lesson there or not, but, you know, uh, I'm thinking that the closest that probably comes is that one person's one person's treasure is another person's trash. I think it's kind of the opposite in that case of what the, the way that saying usually goes. Okay, so let's get busy wrapping it up. You know, the new year is almost always seen as a, uh, a clean slate, as a fresh start, as a new beginning, uh, there are more gym memberships sold in January, right, than in any other month. 
Yeah. And there people make New Year's resolutions, right? Which they usually break in the first week or two of January. It seems kind of futile to me. So I'm not really espousing that kind of an, of an approach this morning. But as far as reflection of the past year is concerned, personal reflection, I'm going to leave that up to each and every one of you to do for yourself. Because each one of us has events, milestones, decisions that we made to celebrate, really, from the past year. But if you're normal, like me, and my cousin who was in the first service, when I said, if you're normal like me, burst out laughing. I understand that. Quasi-normal like me. You also have a few regrets from the past year, right? And I think that it's good to celebrate the successes, but it's also good not to sweep those regrets under the carpet, but instead to acknowledge them, to think about them, to reflect on them. Mistakes, after all, are a part of life, except for maybe Lucy. Take a minute to read that. I just love that quote. Charles Schultz, genius. Or, you know, perhaps sometimes you feel like this message on this poster, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Well, that wouldn't be very positive, would it? (laughs) And by the way, no one's life is that purpose, just to be clear. But I would encourage you to make a T-chart. You know what a T-chart is? You know, it's a line like this, a line like this, two columns, and list your successes, you know, those things to celebrate on the one side, and then the regrets on the other side. And then ask yourself, reflect, debrief, what did you gain, what did you learn? from the successes as well as the regrets or the mistakes. Really important to do. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul calls us to examine ourselves. And he's specifically referring to doing that before we take communion. But it's good to examine ourselves periodically. Really important. Well, there is some reflecting that I would like to do this morning. It does like to take about five minutes or so. Um, And it has to do with all of the sermon series that we participated in over the past year. You know, we have these sermon series, we advertise them, we anticipate them, we participate in them, we we learn, we grow, and then we move on. And we hardly ever go back to think about them. So I just want to take a moment and go through the ones that we participated in in 2013. Our worship planning team does a great job of putting those together. And, of course, the purpose of doing a sermon series is to provide focus for us and to provide something that we can kind of hook into, something that makes it easier for us to remember. The first sermon series of uh, 2013 was in Lent. It started in early February called The Beautiful Red Letters, referring to the words of Jesus, specifically the words of Jesus spoken from the cross. And if you remember, there was a black background up here and we had the red letters and they were put together and they formed a cross and it was the letter, the words that Jesus said from the cross and also the words that he said on Resurrection Sunday, woman, why are you crying? So that was their first sermon series. You know, the red letters are really important in our Bible. Tony Campolo has a, a program or an initiative called a red letter Christian, being a red letter Christian. And it's important that we read them and we, we focus on them and dwell on them and, and live by them. The next sermon series was Spirit and Truth, 
We learned about the importance of spirit and truth in different aspects. We learned about the importance of spirit and truth in worship, in relationships, in using our, our resources, and in also how to act with regard to our dual citizenship, the fact that we have citizenship in this world, but also in the kingdom of God. And then the next sermon series was the fruit of the Spirit. Each week was an overview of one of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and uh, in truth, we really just scratched the surface of each one of those. Now, do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, well, I have a first letter for each there. Okay, let's see how you do. Ready? Excellent. Very good. All right. I need the prompts sometimes, you know, so I'm glad to have those up there. And then uh, the next sermon series was Growing the Lionheart, the Early Years of David. This series taught us how God prepares us. God prepares us to be both a leader and a follower in the kingdom of God. And the messages included how God speaks to us, uh, that when we allow ourselves to become small, God becomes absolutely huge the importance of being accountable and being in a supportive relationship, and the quality of endurance, to name a few of them. And then our most recent sermon series, as you've heard referred to today, unwrapping the names of Christmas. King, Messiah, Sunrise, Emmanuel, and Jesus. And as Tim referred to earlier, and if you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard him talk about the name Jesus. The other names tell us about the character of God. But the name Jesus makes it personal. It gives us someone to pray to. It gives us someone to love. Well, hopefully as I reviewed each one of these, it kind of struck a responsive chord with you. Um, If you're like me, it reminded me that I might need a refresher on some of these things. So keep in mind that all of the audio from our sermons are available on our website, and if you don't have access to a computer, we can burn a CD for you. They're available on uh, podcast as well. So, you know, uh, it's time to wrap things up here, right? That doesn't mean it's the end of the sermon. It just means we're going to wrap this up. Okay. Um, part of wrapping things up is getting ready for next year. And as I was considering what is really important for us to wrap up, and to take with us into 2014, I came up with a list of six things, six different things that I feel are important for us to carry with us. And they all start with the letters P-R. You know, years ago, when people were in ministry training, you were told that a good sermon should have three main points. And then that was changed to two main points. And now I understand that seminarians are being told that You should have one really good main point. And I think that that really (laughs) talks about and refers to our attention span uh, decreasing, maybe. But there's six in this list. So, sorry, you might want to write them down as a result. Okay, so let's look at the six-pronged approach to uh, carrying into 2014. The first one is prayer. Uh, This is the single most important thing that you can do. Simply put, prayer is the most important thing. And if you don't already, in your daily life, have a dedicated prayer time, we have to ask the question, why not? 
If when you have a need or a problem, your first response is not to pray, or if someone that you know and love has a difficulty or a situation or a problem, and your first response is not to pray, we have to ask, why not? Um, you know, if you're not a member of the PFC prayer chain, the question is, why not? And learn this lesson sooner than later if you haven't already learned it. And a lot of times we have to relearn it if we're really honest with ourselves. We are unable to do it all on our own strength and power. We just can't. We cannot do it. If we try to, we will fail. Our strength, our power, our resources are all limited. God's are unlimited. So why wouldn't we want to tap into his strength and to his power? Prayer has the ability to transform the way we think. Instead of thinking, what am I going to do? We might mature a little bit and say, God, what are we going to do? And you might mature just even a little bit more and say, God, what is it that you're doing that I need to join with you in doing? It just changes our whole perspective. And the purposes of prayer are many, of course, from adoration You know, just thanking God for who he is, to thanksgiving, thanking him for the blessings that he bestows upon us, to confession, really important, and to supplication and intercession. Supplication is when you ask for uh, help for yourself from God. Intercession is when you ask for help for others from God. And keep in mind that with the exception of confession, Jesus engaged and and gave us examples how to pray in all of those other different types of prayers. The next thing on the list is praise. And while this is part of worship, it's also much more than that. Worship is important. It should be included in what we carry with us to 2014. But praise is really an attitude. It's an attitude of of coming before God, of recognizing that he is in control, and also that all good things come from him and him alone, and then thanking him, praising him for those blessings. It's connected to prayer also, but it's connected to this attitude of worship. It can be as simple as counting your blessings, taking the moment, a moment to do that. But it's also something that we do together corporately as an act of worship when we meet together. Have you ever praised God for stepping in dog dirt? I did this week. Let me tell you, and this is a little uh, bit of confession also, all right? We were all stressed last week, right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, some more than others, uh, you know, a lot of things that had to be done, had to be accomplished, And then it seems like the routine things get in the way and get really aggravating, like taking out the recycling and walking the dogs. Yeah. And I was really kind of angry. And uh, I guess it evidenced itself in my tone of voice and in my uh, the length of my fuse, I'll say. And the dogs didn't respond to me when it was time to go out. And so, you know, I got more exasperated. And the angrier I got, the less willing the dogs were to come near me, right? 
You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, Connie tried to tell me, but the, it, the, worse, the worse I got, the, the more the dogs shrank into the corners. Anyway, the dogs finally cooperated. I took the recycling out, took the dogs out, and came back into the house not realizing what I had stepped in for quite a while. <laughs> now, when I did, I had a choice. I could get angrier. Probably wouldn't have been good for my blood pressure, right? Or I could laugh. Thankfully, I decided to laugh. And I thanked God right then and there for reigning in my anger. (laughs) So, prayer is critical. Praise is critical also. Really important and to, uh, to wrap up and take with us into 2014. The next thing is preparedness. Now, there are a lot of ways to get prepared. And who knows if we're preparing in the right way or not, because we never really know exactly what's coming down the pike, right? So we could prepare one way, and maybe it wouldn't be the right way. But, you know, at least I'm thinking one thing that's a sure shot is studying, reading, and knowing the Bible. That kind of preparation never wants. It's never lacking. You know, there are very few times when I open my Bible and I don't gain or get something from it. And in those rare instances, it's usually because of the attitude that I bring to reading it. So I encourage you to read it every day. If you're not reading it every day, again, we have to ask that question, why not? Set up a time. Be disciplined about it. Read it every day. Underline the passages that speak to you. Write in the margins. Journal about it. Talk about it. Share it with a friend. Post it on Facebook. Join a a journey group that Josh Hostetter was talking about this morning or some other Bible study. There are no shortages of opportunities for getting in the word. But remember, what's in the Bible can't prepare you if you don't crack it open. It's just not going to happen. And you know, if you don't know where to start, start with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read it every day for a week or two, and then tell me you're not a different person after having done that. In fact, let's let's check out some of the Sermon on the Mount uh, right now. Let's look at Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This passage brings us to our next point, the next thing that we need to wrap up, and that is present. And it doesn't mean that you're going to get a present or that you're going to give a present. Christmas is over, okay? It means this is where you're supposed to live, in the present, in the present. You know, how many of us are worried about the future? So much so that it can be disabling. This passage tells us not to worry about the future. Oh, if only we could do that. But we can. We truly can. If we actively work to trust in God and in his power and in his strength, we will come to realize that there is nothing. What is it that Roman 8 8 says? Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's all that really matters. You know, Jesus even uses some humor in this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. He uses some irony. In verse 27, he asks, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What happens when you get anxious or you worry to your span of life? It goes down, right? You know, I I want to take a, a minute to talk about someone this week who I observed to be totally living in the present. Not worried about the future, not worried about the past. And it was on Christmas Eve, and this mother was totally enjoying being with her child. I was running the slides in the back, and this mother was sitting over here in the the back corner. And, you know, she could have been caught up in the last-minute details of Christmas preparation. You know, did she get the right gifts? Maybe how she was going to pay for everything or what the Christmas meal was going to be. But instead of focusing on any of those things, she was totally, wholly, completely focused on her daughter. And she had a smile on her face that just beamed. And she discovered that the lyrics to the carol are up on the screen, but they're also on the smaller screen on the back wall. And she discovered that she could sing the the words to the carol by looking at that screen and looking at her daughter's face at the same time. And she just beamed with joy. And that person was Wendy Kiefer. And I will never forget that sight. And I feel privileged to have watched that. It's a memory that I will I will never forget. But thank God that that's how she spent her last night with her daughter, living in the present. You know, there is that other side of the coin. We talked about the the future, but how many of us are stuck in the past? Either have we, we have those regrets that I talked about earlier and we can't move on, or we harbor anger or resentment of one kind or another, or we're holding on to a grudge against someone. 
And you see, when we're holding on to all that stuff, we become tight-fisted. And when we're in the present, we can't receive it because our hands are too tightly clasped around all those other things, those things that we're carrying, that baggage that we're carrying. Oh, but, you know, there is something to be said for getting even, though. Yeah, there really is. Now, I'm not talking about getting even with the people who have hurt you. You know, forget about them. You need to get even with the people who have helped you. Wouldn't that be such a greater focus? If we just focused on getting even with the people who have helped us. You know, use the present to carry out the commands of Christ. Use the present each and every day to glorify your Father in heaven by the way you act and react, by the way you speak, even by the way you think. And think about all of the people who have helped you along the way and then emulate their example, which which really brings us to the fifth point, protege. You know, it says that it's said that flattery is the most sincere form of compliment. And I can remember uh, years when I was a principal of uh, an elementary school at Halloween, kids dressing up like me. That makes you stop and think. It really does. You know, there are other former students who have told me that they have gone into their life work or their uh, what they're studying in college because of something I either said or did. How humbling is that? I know a student who went into meteorology because of my interest in meteorology and that it was demonstrated in the, in the classroom. And I know of a couple of students who are going into broadcasting because of the start that they got helping Mr. Willauer do the televised morning announcements at Royersford Elementary School. <laughs> and you might say, well, that's, you know, you're a teacher, you're an educator. But, you know, this really isn't what I'm talking about as far as protege is concerned. I'm not talking about that you have to be a Mr. Miyagi to uh, the karate kid, right? It's not like that. Instead, think of your circle of influence. Who looks up to you? Who looks up to you? Who do you serve as an example for? And if your answer is no one, you need to change that. Because there are probably people who look up to you and you don't even realize it. And all you have to do is, is look around. Who can you encourage? Who can you help? Who can you support? And you might really be surprised. The world is, is filled with people who need encouragement. And they need it critically. And, and it's, this is young people especially, but not completely limited to that. And your encouragement might be the nudge that someone needs to take just that next step. In First Thessalonians 5.11, it says to encourage one another and build each other up. And that starts right in this room. You know, Paul took very seriously the example that he set to the early church. There are at least five passages, uh, maybe six, uh, where Paul tells the followers of Christ to follow his example. Now, he's not setting himself up to be the head of the church. He knew that that was Jesus and that uh, he didn't want to challenge that in any way. He knew that belonged to Christ alone. But what he did realize was that in those days there was not a written record. The New Testament did not exist at that point. There were some of these letters that he wrote that were being passed around. 
And the resources that early believers had available to them were, were very limited. They were few and far between. And there were imposters. And there were people who just were ill-advised and ill-informed. And so in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that's really what he wanted people to see. He didn't want people to see Paul. He wanted them to see Christ living in him and working through him. Okay, one more. We've looked at prayer and praise and preparedness and present and protege. And here's the last one. Life is messy. Now, the type A people in here are probably very upset with this. Because it doesn't start with PR. It's not the same font. And it didn't fit in the box. Janet told me, not that you're a type A personality or anything. I don't know where you got this from. But she said, we knew that at item number two, that all six weren't going to fit in the box. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) Well, you'd be right about all those things. It doesn't fit in the box. But you know what else? That's the way life is. I can give you this wonderful list, and we can all say, yes, we're going to take that list, and we're going to wrap it up, and we're going to tie it with a string, and we're going to carry it with us into 2014, and then something happens. Something gets in the way. Something competes for our time. Something goes wrong. So then what do we do? Prayer Praise, preparedness, present, protege, all out the window, right? (laughs) Do you dump everything out of the box? Do you get rid of the box at that point? What do you do? Do you pitch it? Do they really fly out the window? Hopefully not. Because it's then that they're really important. That's why you packed them in the first place. For that kind of a difficulty or problem. You know, isn't it when life gets messy that prayer, praise, and preparedness are really important? They really get critically important. And when this stuff happens, it forces us to live in the present. When we're having this problem, this difficulty, we have to deal with it in the present. And even then, and probably more than at any other time, others, including any proteges that you might have, are watching your example. This is where the rubber hits the road. It's when it really matters, when it really counts. And it's when others can see that it isn't you who is acting, but it is Christ working in and through you. And that's why Paul was was, uh, referring to us as clay jars, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4. He refers to us as these imperfect, leaky clay jars. And, you know, it would really be the supernatural working of Jesus in our clay jars, in our imperfect and mortal flesh, that would be a miracle. It would be supernatural. And others would then see Christ at work in and through us. So there it is, prayer, praise, preparedness, present, protege, and life is messy. 
you know, I kind of feel like we should sing a fight song before we go out of here and, and go into 2014, but let's pray instead.